This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by ProFarmer. ProFarmer provides key information to help farmers make profitable decisions. Go to tryprofarmer.com for your free trial today. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Last year, most economic prognosticators expected a recession on the horizon. What has changed in the past year? Where are interest rates headed? What is the farm economic forecast for the year ahead? We talked to Nate Kaufman at the KC Fed to get his perspective. Plus, we'll talk about some of the latest initiatives from the United Soybean Board to boost soy uses and prices. Those are our topics for this week's Farm in the Countryside, brought to you by ProFarmer. Start making confident marketing decisions with ProFarmer. For farmers' condensed style is designed to save you time while giving you the important information you need when making those important marketing decisions. And you'll stay on top of profit opportunities with ProFarmer's mobile sell alerts and easy-to-use mobile app. Start a ProFarmer free trial today. Just visit tryprofarmer.com. That's tryprofarmer.com. Nate Kaufman works with the Omaha branch of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. He is a frequent speaker at many ag conferences, providing a perspective on the farm economy and the national financial factors that impact each of us. We touched on a number of topics of interest, including the strength of the farm economy, lending and default trends, interest rates, and more. Here's our conversation. Nate, for those that aren't familiar, they hear the Federal Reserve and they think, well, what's that have to do with farming? Describe what you do because you are certainly around agriculture and the ag industry all the time. One of the things that people know most about the Fed is is, is our involvement in interest rates. And, you know, that, of course, is something that affects lots of people's farming, people farming included. Uh, and so we want to better understand how developments in farming are evolving and how the ag economy is evolving so that when we have discussions about something as broad as interest rates, we're incorporating some of the views that would come from, in this case, the ag sector. Certainly your office, Omaha, Kansas City offices, ag is the big thing that you look at, I'm suspecting. Ag is a big industry in this region, as I think most people probably know. We've got a lot of banks also that lend into agriculture in this region. So it's something that when we're representing the region here in the seven states that we cover in the middle of the country, it's something we pay a lot of attention to. So let's talk about where we stand right now. My perception is, being a farmer myself but also talking to a lot of farmers, is that people say, well, we've had some pretty good years but how do we quantify that? I'm suspecting you're going to say, yeah, good, but how do we compare it? You know, the way that I would start is is by saying that the last three years have been maybe as strong as what we saw during the years from 2010 to 2013, when a lot of people thought that that might not happen again. Now, some of that is because of the rebound from COVID and the pandemic and a surge in commodity prices, conflict that drove up commodity prices, government payments, of course, contributing to some of the income that we saw. But it's been a strong few years in general, obviously some industries struggling more than others, but it's been a strong few years in ag. So when you compare that then, is it a situation where, well, we've had good years, so we've obviously got to come off that? Well, how do we look at the future, so to speak? 
Yeah, you know, so that's where we've seen, obviously, commodity prices in ag have come off of where we have been a year ago. Certainly things like corn and soybean prices are considerably lower than they had been last year. It turns out that it looks like we, we had a good crop last year, which is good in some ways, but then also means lower prices. Costs have still been relatively high, and again, interest rates are part of that. So we're likely seeing thinner profit margins this year than what we would have seen for a few years. Um, so it is, a, it is a change in recognizing that probably those years that we had the last few years weren't going to last indefinitely. Do you have a way that you, in a sense, track, if you will, how farmers or ag operations have built up capital over that time? Because I think a lot of people have some reserves to help weather any storms ahead. But how do we measure the capacity of what they can, in a sense, weather? Yeah, there's a couple of places. You know, one is when conditions tend to be really strong in agriculture, we do actually see farmers self-financing more than they had before. They're maybe more cautious to take out debt. They hadn't been taking out the same number or amount of loans as they had in the past. So there's a little bit of a buffer there as it relates to cash availability. The other is land. Um, land markets have been incredibly strong the last few years, and even despite some of the increases in interest rates, they're still holding up well. So for farm operations that have some equity built up in land, that's, that gives another resource that could pot potentially be drawn on. Do you see any cracks in that then going forward, or have we even gotten to that point? Are we still as strong as we've always been? I would say in general, as it relates to the land market, it's, it's been strong, even through the end of 2023, and increases in interest rates, starting to see the, the drop in commodity prices. It's still been strong. You would think that maybe some of those pressures could weigh on the land market, and looking ahead, maybe that will happen, but alongside some of the lower incomes that maybe we're expecting. But it's still been a pretty strong environment. From the banking side, uh, if you go back two or three years, at least I heard a lot of banks say, well, People aren't using on those lines of credits. They've got some stored up. Now it seems to be the opposite. I hear people are maxing out lines of credit. Is that, in a sense, what you're seeing? Yeah, we actually are starting to see more of that pickup in demand. There's still a little bit of hesitancy, I would say, though, because with interest rates the level that they are, the, the interest expense associated with those loans is different. So there's just, I think, a different calculation that's happening now. But there is more of, I, th I think, a financial need than what there's been in the past. And that's to be expected, I think, given the levels of incomes that we saw in, in recent years. But we are starting to see more of that demand for financing. Maybe concern isn't the right word, but is there any worry that – some banks are reaching their capacity to be able to make those those loans because now people are using on those lines of credit. Are people having to look at other lending sources, or what do you see out there? You know, I would say in general, availability, credit availability has still been pretty strong. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is just simply reflecting the strength in agriculture. Um, I think that it's been, in a, it's been a market where loans have generally been repaid quite well, given the, the level of incomes. And so it's been a competitive market for ag loans. So that being the case, I think availability has been strong. But, you know, obviously you do question what the, the, the future might portray as it relates to some of the declines in, in commodity prices that we're seeing now. Yeah, and as far as loans go, we don't see yet any major difference in ability to repay banks. Certainly last year we had things happening on the West Coast and Silicon Valley and so forth. But Midwest, my perception is still strong. What do you see? Yeah, the Midwest economy is still strong, and as it relates to ag, I would, repayment rates are still strong. They're, they're softening a bit from where we had been, and there's maybe some risk associated with loans that had been fixed at one level and now producers refinancing some of those or repricing them at a different level. So there is some risk there, but in general, it's still been solid, I think, given the strength of, of recent years, and it helps that the broader economy has also been doing well. 
people are always, are, of course, going to look at interest rates, and that's certainly on people's minds. Give a perspective then. We lived at a, a rate that was, in a sense, so low historically. Are we just back to what we should call normal? Because right now we say it's high, but how should we look at the rate right now? Yeah, you know, it's always hard to, to define exactly what normal means because we've come through such an, an unusual period here, especially coming out of the pandemic. I think what I would say, though, is rates now, even though they are much higher than what they would have been a couple of years ago, are really quite comparable to where we might have been in, say, 2007. Um, and that was a time that there were still profits to be had. It was maybe a different kind of a challenge and different environment then. Um, so interest rates are a challenge, especially for those operations that are needing to finance more or, you know, looking to make a, a strategic investment. But it's it's not to suggest that there's, there aren't still ways to, you know, to earn a profit. Do we see that the higher interest rates, as in the general economy, tends to try to, uh, we're trying to fight inflation and so forth, does it have the an equal impact in ag, or is ag a, any different animal compared to the general economy? Um, you know, ag is, as an industry, I think, is going to face pressures that would be similar to other places, and some of those would be tied to the global economy. The, the strength of the ag economy, to a significant extent, is going to depend on the strength of global economic activity and exports to places like China. It's going to pe- depend on things like exchange rates, and, and of course that matters too. So I think the pressures there are, are still relatively similar. Um, there are maybe some places in ag where it could be more pronounced, and we think a market like land, as an example, uh, if it would face the pressures associated with interest rates that could be more sizable than some other less interest rate sensitive um, places. But uh, in general, like I said, it's it's been a strong um, few years for ag, and, and I would, would not go so far as to say that 2024 is necessarily going to be weak, but coming off of a period that was, of course, much stronger. Well, thinking about 2024, as you mentioned, I like how you said that. It's not necessarily weak, but it is different. What do we see going down the road, or is it just too hard to predict down the road uh, as we look out to 2025 and beyond? You know, I think my, my expectation would generally be going back to how things might have looked before the pandemic. Um, three or four years you know, coming out of the pandemic now was just a highly unusual time with disturbances that we, we just haven't seen before. Um, the period leading up to the pandemic, though, was a four- or five-year time period when commodity prices actually were pretty stable. They weren't all that high, and costs hadn't increased to the extent that they have now, um, so that could be different. But they were at a period of stability. It wasn't necessarily one that was remarkably positive in terms of profitability, um, but it was at least something that I think there was stability there to where producers had a sense of how they would go about making decisions. If people would have come to a conference like this last year, they would have heard that, you know, maybe there's a three and four chance we'd be in recession and then inflation would have taken off and GDP would be negative. We've not seen that. So did we get lucky? Did we do certain things right? What what happened that made us so much different than maybe some of what the prognosticators were saying? I, I think the primary factor there has been the strength of the labor market, the strength of, of, of the job market, which has then positioned U.S. consumers to continue to spend. Um, now, that may represent a challenge as it relates to inflation if we continue to see uh, you know, economic strength there. But what it has meant in general is that the U.S. economy has performed well because consumers have, have still been active in spending. And that has driven demand for lots of different kinds of products, of which ag would contribute to that as, as any other industry might. So I think that we've seen um, a decent amount of strength that was maybe even a bit surprising given a year ago what people might have been expecting. Um, and I think a lot of that because of the strength of the job market. 
Would we expect those trends then to continue, but maybe not at the same rate, or what would we expect? I think we still see signs that the job market is strong, and we've gotten some recent reports that would show that we actually added a lot more in in terms of number of jobs than what might have been expected. So the job market still seems strong. It's maybe not as tight as what it has been a year or two years ago. We heard a lot of businesses talking about the need to compete for a limited availability of workers by raising wages more than they're accustomed to. And we're just not hearing the same kinds of comments along those lines. So again, I I would put it in the same category that it's not necessarily weak, but it's coming off a place that was exceptionally strong. Nate, any other things that you would want farms or the ag economy to know because you're speaking to, to folks out there in the industry all the time? What other things might we be missing that we should be thinking about? There are a number of risks to be cognizant of, and so I don't want to minimize the potential risks. My goal in the talk today is really just to recognize that we're coming off a period of tremendous strength and things might be a little bit tighter, but still, I think, financially sound. That said, there are, of course, risks that I'm sure people are a bit nervous about, whether it's the ongoing conflict in Ukraine or it's a conflict in the Middle East or geopolitical tension with China or elsewhere. Um, and then you add things like drought to that or, you know, the, the challenges in the Panama Canal. The, the list of, of risks that could potentially affect commodity prices is actually quite large. And, you know, we're going into an election season again. So th- there's a number of things there that I think are probably on people's minds. Um, and I think that those are, are valid and I think should probably enter into how producers go about thinking about their own level of uh, working capital that they maintain in case there are risks that are unforeseen in the future. Nate, I appreciate the time. You're welcome. In the second half of this week's show, I sat down with Neil Bradyhoff, a farmer from Alma, Missouri, serving on the United Soybean Board. We touched on a number of topics, everything from an upcoming referendum to a program called Farmers for Soil Health, which will pay producers for implementing cover crops. Neil, you deal with many topics in your role, but let's start with one that comes up every so often, and that is the checkoff itself in a referendum. Uh, For those that don't understand maybe how that works, talk about what has to happen this year. Well, every five years, according to the original act and order, we have to have a a referendum. Uh, Basically, what it means is that uh, it gives the farmers opportunity to request a vote on the national checkoff. Uh, And that happens every five years. And that will happen in May. Uh, And uh, they can go into their FSA office and request uh, to to vote on that referendum. and it has to be 10% of the U.S. soybean farmers in the country. And, uh, of course, in 2019, which is the last time we did that, uh, or they did that, uh, there was overwhelming support for the checkoff. So, uh, you know, it, it gives everyone an opportunity every five years. You've been a part of this process for, for quite a while. What is it that you get across to fellow producers to say, the checkoff is important because of this? It's been around so long, I think sometimes we take it a bit for granted, and we shouldn't do that. Well, there's, you know, uh, I think the the biggest takeaway to me is every dollar we invest as soybean farmers, uh, we've done a study uh, that says we get a $12.34 return on our investment. So that's pretty huge when you start to look at uh, uh, what we've done with those checkoff dollars. And, uh, you know, we're, we're always looking at different uh, ways to... Uh, uh, use soybeans, and of course, our export is is huge. Uh, but we still have that. Uh, we have projects that come to us that uh, uh, use use soybeans and soybean oil, soybean meal, different ways. 
When you're out there talking to producers, are there any things that you hear consistently from them, whether it is pros or cons, that say, I wish the checkoff would do more of this, or I'm really glad they do this? What do you hear from producers out there? Well, I think I think overall producers are, at least in my area of the world, I think they're they're uh, uh, pretty satisfied with what's going on. You know, when when you look at uh, biodiesel, for instance, you know the checkoffs, the checkoff along with uh, the policy work on the on the ASA side has brought that to fruition, and uh, that has added a lot of dollars uh, to soybean producers. I think that's one thing that I hear quite often that. Uh, that was a great thing for soybean producers, you know, and, and there's uh, other uh, things. That, right now we're working on a uh, product, uh, soy foam, they call it. Well, it's a fire retardant uh, using soybeans, soybean meal. So uh, those those things are, uh, those projects and those ideas are, I think that's what resonates with farmers. You're talking about the, the oil side, we're going to go to the meal side here in just a moment, but we have done, in my mind, a fairly remarkable job of moving that oil and the way we do it with fuels, and, and now we're even looking at aviation fuel and so forth. Can you give us an idea of, of what that means to soybean producers? In my mind, it has made a huge difference over time. Well, I think when you talk just biodiesel, I think it adds about 60 cents a bushel to our, our soybean crop. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, we're looking, we're using it, using oil in uh, in tires now. It was Goodyear. Uh, you know, th- those are things that 15 years ago, 10 years ago, weren't even on the radar screen. So, you know, and, and that's always what we go back to on USB is we've, you know, we've spent a lot of time uh, going through projects that that come to us saying, we want to we want to show you how we can use soybeans or soybean oil, soybean meal that way, you know. So it's uh, it's um, it's been a pretty positive uh, time overall when you look at the kind of crop we were raising when the soybean checkoff started was 2.6 billion, I believe, in this country. Well, now we're way over 4 billion, and we still got good prices at the farm gate. But we've we've used we've got soybeans in so many products that it's it's created a demand. We mentioned soy oil. Perhaps one of the challenges of doing a good job with that is that we have more soy meal, and sometimes finding should we say a home for that. Talk about that, because how do we begin to take that meal and find uh, places where we can use more of it? Well, that's going to be an issue, I think, in, in more and more so now than now. I mean, it's more so in the future. Uh, as these new crush plants come on line, we're going to have a lot of meal to deal with. We've always looked at the oil side pretty strongly, and the meal, of course, too. But uh, we're going to have a lot of meal. Like I mentioned, the, the soy foam product, uh, project, uh, that's a meal project. Uh, you know, and, and I'm on the uh, in innovation technology demand side on the USB board, and we're getting, uh, you know, we're requesting projects that deal with you know, how we use this meal. So we're we're looking at that and hoping we, uh, you know, as we go forward here, we can get some projects that come to fruition that we can build that meal demand. Do we still have the ability to move more meal through livestock, or is that a piece that we have, in a sense, been able to meet and so now it's just finding different places outside of that well i think uh you know i I, that's always been our number one customer i think it will always remain our number one customer uh meals very important to that that segment and uh uh you know i don't know if we'll i don't know if it'll be more but i do know it's always going to be going to be one of the top ones well let's talk about another initiative that is somewhat new but i think very close to your heart which is uh, farmers for soil health and that is not just the soybean 
uh, folks alone, but working in com- combination with several people. For those who have not heard about that, maybe give them the big overview, and then we can talk about some specifics. Well, it's uh, Sol, uh, FarmersForSolHealth.com. It's a partnership with National uh, Pork Producers, uh, National Corn Growers, and, of course, United Soybean Board, working with the uh, National Wildlife and uh, Fisheries Foundation. And it's a, it's a cover crop program that helps, uh, does about three things. It helps offset the cost of farmers that want to plant some cover crops. And we do have technical assistance in 20 states that it's available to help farmers develop that plan on their farm. And uh, the third part, I think, is probably the, one of the, probably the most important part. There's a marketplace out there. We're trying to develop a marketplace that the larger companies can come to and say, you know, we'll buy your products because it's sustainable. Farmers sometimes hear this and say, oh, it's just another program. But there are some things that make this different than maybe some other things out there. Wouldn't that be right? Well, I think so. Uh, you know, they're, like I mentioned, the technical assistance. Uh, every, there's a technical assistance in all those, in every state that it's in. And those guys or gals have a uh, knowledge of, okay, what will work in our state? Well, you know, what, what do we plant, how we plant it, when we plant it? And, and that really is an important part that probably some of the other programs don't have. And, I, again, I have to mention that marketplace. That's to me, is what is really drew me into, the, into that uh, uh, program because it allows me to grow that crop in a sustainable way that the Walmarts and the, and the, you know, and the Kellogg's and these larger companies can come to us producers and say, we want to buy your project product, your, your soybeans, your corn, your pork, because it's sustainable. And people aren't locked in, though, to having to do anything. They've still got flexibility, correct, about how they want to sell that to other companies? Oh, yeah. There's, there's no, you're not locked into anything. This is a voluntary program, so which I think that's another key part, too. It's not something that it's being forced on us. It's voluntary. And, yeah, if they get to the point they don't want to sell to them, they don't have to. If they go to that website, they're, they will be applying to get funds then to help them put some of these practices into place. Is that correct? Well, it's farmersforsoilhealth.com. You go on that website. Uh, you can sign up for the program on there. Uh, you can look around to see who your technical assistance, assistant is in your state. Uh, and other other things that deal with cover crops, so it, it's a uh, you know, it's got a little bit of everything on it, and uh, for the farmer that's interested in signing up, and it doesn't matter where I am in the process, whether I've done any of those practices or not, I could I should still go there, correct? Yes, that's one important part. This is a program that, unlike a lot of others, uh, we have a, there's a payment for someone that's never done a cover crop, and there's also a payment for someone that has done a cover crop. So it it helps both uh, both sides. In the time we have remaining here, there's so many more things we could talk about. But any things that are on your mind that you'd want soybean producers to know that uh, you're dealing with right now? Well, I think that uh, soybean producers need to uh, uh, you know probably um, look at or understand that the United Soybean Board is looking at projects that that are not just for now but into the future. You know, we've got several projects that come to us every year that uh, that we fund that it's uh, that we look at that's down the road before it really gets implemented. So it's uh, it's important that soybean farmers know that 
uh, you know, the United Soybean Board is, is looking into the future on how we how we can address uh, any issues we have and, and address the uh, get build more demand and create more demand for for the farmers out there. Eli, I appreciate the time. Well, thank you. Appreciate being able to do this. Thanks for joining me on this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, or X, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And you can also get updates on these programs by following my personal LinkedIn page. And you can also hear these shows in a variety of ways at farmingthecountryside.com, on any local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. If you miss one of our shows, just use those platforms to go back and catch other topics of interest as well. I do try to have a variety of guests to provide information impacting many parts of the ag industry in rural America. And if you have show ideas, please get in touch. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by ProFarmer. ProFarmer provides key information to help farmers make profitable decisions. Go to tryprofarmer.com for your free trial today.